are glad that you are here tonight, and we are going to have a good, good time because Jesus is good. Amen? And He is good all the time. Well, we've been having our Sunday night's prayer schools, and tonight we're going to talk somewhat about prayer, but we're going to go a little bit different direction. How many of you love the fruit of answered prayer? You love to pray, and you love to see the things that you've asked the Lord for come to pass. Well, He loves to grant our requests, for sure. And we shouldn't pray without expecting to get the answers to our prayers. We come in faith expecting. But I heard someone, well, actually it was Lynn Hammond. I heard her this week um, there at uh, Prayer Mountain, was watching it online. She's there at Billy Brin's conference. And she said something, it just went off on the inside of me. She said, the root of all prayer should be coming to him. Just coming to Him. That ought to be our motive. And another way of saying that is seeking His face, not seeking His hand. We know that He wants to meet all of our needs, but really, when we come to Him, it shouldn't be, Lord, give me, give me, give me, I need, I need, I need. Give me, give me, I need, I need. It ought to be the attitude of, I get to spend time with you. I'm honored and I'm blessed to be able to come into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Lord, I'm so thankful that you made a way that I can commune with you one-on-one and I can just bow before you and I can just worship you and I can pour my heart out to you just to be in his presence. You know, the psalmist David, he knew a lot. He wasn't even born again, but he knew a lot about seeking the Lord and inquiring of him. If you weren't in the 11 o'clock service, particularly this morning, make sure that you get the CD or listen to it online. Pastor did an excellent job sharing out of 1 Samuel 30 how when David found himself in a difficult situation, living in a city called Ziglad, overcome with grief. And and I won't go into the whole account there, but the Philistines came in there and, and they plundered the city and stole his their possessions and their wives and all of that stuff. But David did something there. He inquired of the Lord. He sought the Lord's face. And it, because of that, God gave him a plan and restoration came into his life. And tonight we want to look at another passage of scripture regarding David seeking the Lord. We'll begin over in Psalms 27, verse 1. And we're going to look at these passages in the Amplified. We'll read verse 1 through 3 to begin with. Psalms 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear or dread? What's the answer to that? No one. The Lord is my refuge and a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? What's the answer? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and they fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, even in this, Even then, in this, I will be confident. I love his attitude here. First of all, he said, I am not going to fear because the Lord 
is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my deliverer. And when the light who is Jesus shows up, what happens to darkness? Darkness is dispelled. And when the light shows up, that darkness that's been trying to blind us or or keep us maybe from seeing which direction to go or the answer that we are seeking, that light shows up. And revelation comes and the victory is ours. And then David went on to say, he said, it causes the the devils and the enemies when they come. What what did he say happened to them? They stumble and they fall. Well, I was reading that today. It reminded me. You remember the story over in the book of Esther. Where Haman, he, he plotted a plot to destroy all of the Jewish people. And he was coming against Mordecai, who was Esther's uncle. And he even had this gallows built. I mean, he had this planned out that he was going to lay this plot against Mordecai. He was going to catch him praying to God. And then he was going to bring it before the king and they were going to hang him. And and Haman was going to be the big hero. But God had another plan. I thought about it today when I read this scripture. When my enemies came against me, my God caused them to stumble and to fall and to be defeated. That plot that Haman had against the Jewish people and against Esther, because Esther and Mordecai, they called on the name of the Lord. They asked the other people, the other Jews, to fast and to pray. She went in And deliverance came through the king. And that very gallow that Haman had built to hang Mordecai on, he was hung on. And that's what the Lord will do. That's what David was saying. Who do I fear? I don't have to fear anyone. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. When I seek him, he always brings deliverance. When my enemies came against me, they stumble and they fall. You might be in here today and tonight and maybe some things that have been coming against you. It seems like there's schemes of the devil that are arrayed against you and there's weapons that are coming against your life. But a word of the Lord says, just hold fast to him. Seek the Lord and God will turn the tables. He will cause those that come against the righteous to stumble and to fall and to be defeated. Can I get an amen? Amen. So the Jews were delivered because Esther and and, uh, Mordecai sought the Lord. What about David? He already said here, I don't have to fear anyone. But where did he find his answers from Where did he get him? Let's look at verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that I will seek and inquire for, and insistently require that I may dwell in the house of the Lord in his presence all the days of my life, and to behold and gaze upon the beauty I like how it says this, the sweet attractiveness and the delightful loveliness of the Lord and to meditate and consider and inquire in his temple. Can you hear 
David's heart. Can you hear that he had found the answer and it was inquiring of the Lord. It was seeking the Lord for any problem or any situation that arose in his life. He says it even more profound. Let's jump down to verse 8. You have said, seek my face, inquire for, and require my presence as your vital need. And my, as your vital need, yeah. My heart says to you, your face, your presence, Lord, I will seek. I will inquire for and require of necessity and on the authority of your word. Is that your heart? Does your heart say that? Lord, your face will I seek. That should be the basis of our fellowship with him. That should be the basis even of our prayer life. It's Lord. I'm not just running into your presence and saying, my name is Jimmy. I'll take all you give me. I got five minutes and I got a list of 500 things, Lord. I need you to do them and I need you to do them right now. No, our attitude ought to be, Lord, your face. I have come to seek your presence. I require, it's necessary for my very life. I have to have your presence. He said in verse 4, it's one thing have I desired. Not a hundred things will I seek after. It's not 10,000 things that I desire. One thing, only one do I desire, and it's your presence. You know, when we have His presence on our lives, guess what? Your bodies will be strong. Your bodies will be quickened. When we have His presence on our life, it does something even to our thought process, to our minds. Our minds will be filled with peace. They'll be clear. They'll be sharp. They'll be quickened. You know what? When we have His presence, you know, He'll even bless our finances. His presence is what we need on our prayers. And when they're prayed with that unction of His presence, they do make tremendous power available. Would you agree that His presence makes all the difference? There was another prophet of old that knew the importance of God's presence. His name was Moses. You'll remember over in Exodus it is the story of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 3 is the account, a chapter, yeah, 33, is the account of when Moses had gone up to Mount Sinai. And we know that the mountain was covered with the glory of God, with the presence of God. He's caught up there for 40 days and he's meeting with God. He's getting the Ten Commandments. And he comes down out of this place of being shut in with God and he comes down and he hears this singing and this dancing and it's not godly. And he sees this golden calf. The people in his absence have decided they're going to make somebody else to worship 
Boy, those people really hung in there, didn't they? God, Moses is gone, so hey, he's been gone a few days. Let's get somebody else to worship. So he comes out of that place of being in the presence of God and finds this going on. Now, in verse 7, he, he doesn't know what to do. God says, I'm going to wipe these people out. And Moses, I'm sure, was tempted to agree with him. But he did what he had always done. He decided he would inquire of the Lord and he would seek the Lord. I find this interesting. I want to turn over there in Exodus chapter 33 and we'll look at uh, verse 7. So that's the background of the story. Now Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp. And then look, look at this phrase, far from the camp. And he called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. First of all, Moses had a place. He had a tent. And he said, okay, I'm going to meet with God. I'm going to ask him for mercy for these people that he would not destroy them. So he takes this tent and he calls it this tent the meeting place of God. And then he says this, I'm going to put it far from the camp. And I think that's a good thing for us to settle in on for a moment. Far away from these people, these backsliding bunch of folks that are so easily influenced to do evil. These ones that have just a little bit ago were worshiping a golden calf. I might, you know, he may have been tempted to get on God's side and say, just fry them all, make them all crispy critters. So he had to get away from the people. He had to get far from the voices of those people and the distractions of those people and meet with God. You know, there's times when you want to hear from God that the best thing for you to do is to remove yourself from what people are saying. Remove yourself from the TV. Remove yourself from media. Remove yourself from the Wall Street Journal. Remove yourself from the doctor's report and get in your tent of meeting with God. Far away from what people might be telling you. Far away from the lies that are kind of bombard your head. And come and meet God. Moses knew the value of that. I think that actually Moses could have been the author of that old song. Anybody ever sang this song, Shut In With God? Shut in with God in a secret place. There in His presence, beholding His face, gaining new power to run in the race. How I long to be shut in with God. Shut in with God. In that secret place, there in his presence, beholding his face. Anybody know that? Gaining new power to run in the race. How I long to be shut in with God. Shut in with God. 
It's a place. It's a place. It's a place. And we can go there anytime that we want to. Moses literally had to take a tent and pitch it. We got the tent of the glory on us. We have free access. We've been given the right to come boldly to the throne room of grace. We can come into that Shekinah glory, come into his presence. Anytime, any place, shut in with God. Shutting everything else out and listening to him and focusing only upon him. If we want to be shut in with God, it requires shutting some other things out. So Moses tapped into that and he knew. And when he would go into that place, it would make him want more of God's presence. The story continues down in in verse 11. He asked God for his presence. So the Lord spoke to Moses. There it is again. Face to face. We can have a face to face relationship with our Lord Jesus. As a man speaks to his friend. God wants to be your friend. He's your Lord. He's your Savior. But he is our friend that sticks closer than a brother. And when Moses would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. We won't go into all of that now, but I believe that's significant. That's why God chose Joshua to be the next leader. Because Joshua craved that same presence of God. He depended upon it. When Moses would go out there and meet with God, Joshua was right there with him. When Moses had to leave and go do other things, it says Joshua stayed in that tent of meeting God. So the whole chapter, Moses, he continues his conversation with God. And he asked him to show mercy and grace on these people. He stood on the side of mercy. He knew that for him to still lead these people, it had to be under the anointing and the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit coming on him. And it didn't upset God that Moses continually, if you'll study his life, he'd say, Lord, show me your glory. Lord, show me your presence. As a matter of fact, let's look on down here at verse 14. He's having this conversation with God. And he says, God, I don't want to go unless you go with us. God, are you still going to be with us? I know these people have disappointed you. But if we get up from this place and continue forward, are you going to go with us? And this is what God said to him. My presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. Then this is what Moses said back to God. He's having a conversation face to face with him. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't bring us up from here. 
His attitude was, God, if you aren't going with us, I'm not going. God, if your presence isn't on what we're doing, I'm not doing it anymore. And I think it's interesting that God said to him, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. When God's presence is on our life and God's presence is on something that he has asked you to do, there's going to be rest. Doesn't mean that the enemy won't come and try to attack and stir up trouble, but there'll be rest in your soul. A sure sign that something is just a work of the flesh and that we're trying to push through and make happen is there's no rest. There's no peace, no presence, and no peace, no grace. God wants us to have his presence on our lives and on our prayers. It's the same with our prayers. You know, you can... You can be praying totally in the flesh. You can be praying worried and nervous prayers. Oh, God, I'm so, oh, God, they're going to hell. I know they're going to go to hell. Did you see what they did? They're living so awful. Oh, God, they're going to hell, wringing our hands and so upset. And, oh, God, you know, we can't pay our, we can't pay our bills. Oh, we're going to get evicted. And those are nervous, worried prayers. And there's no presence on it. It's working. It's sweating. It's stress. It's strain. But it's totally in the flesh. But when we will come to him, the root of all prayer is coming to him. And just waiting. Okay, Lord, you know what's going on in this person's life. Lord, you know what's going on in our lives. You know what's going on in our finances. Now, Lord. I'm reminding you of your word. Find scriptures to bring back to him. And then ask him, Lord, how should I pray about this? Give me the words. Give me the unction to pray. And then follow that unction. And there will be a rest. Moses loved the Shekinah glory. He loved the presence of God. And it wasn't just one time that he experienced. He always wanted more. If you'll keep reading, even in this chapter, he gets bolder and he says, Lord, I want to see your face. Show me your glory. And God says to him, because he wasn't born again, he said, no man can see my face and live. But it's interesting how God said to him. He said, show me your glory. And God said, I'll let my goodness pass before you. I'm going to put you in this cleft of the rock. And then you, I'm going to pass by and you'll be able to see my back. And that, and you'll know that I, my goodness is in the scene, on the scene. And just that little bit of God passing by with him in that cleft of the rock, it changed Moses' countenance. He began to glow. He radiated with the presence of God. And he probably went home that night and he went, was in the tent and his wife said, Moses, turn out the light. I want to go to sleep. And he says, 
The light's not on. It, and he, she looks at him and says, it's your head. Just cover up your head. We got to get some rest in here. He was glowing. He was radiant with the presence of God just by that one time of God passing before him. You and I are carriers of that presence. We get to come into his presence boldly, but he also lives in us. Moses had it showing up on his countenance. You and I as believers, we ought to have some evidence in our lives that we've been with Jesus, that his presence is on our lives. And there will be when we spend time with him, when we have that face-to-face relationship with him. Remember the account over in the New Covenant of Peter and John and how they had healed that man at the gate called Beautiful. And the religious leaders were not happy about it. So they're stirring up all of this trouble and they questioned, you know, how did you do this? Why did you do this? And, you know, they were just being really ugly about it, especially the Sadducees. You know, the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't see who Jesus really was. Made them sad and grumpy and cantankerous and everything else. So they come to Peter and John and they start questioning them. Over in Acts chapter 4, I love this response. See, people may not understand what's different about you, but there ought to be something different about us. There ought to be a presence on our lives that other people don't have. There ought to be a glow and a radiance coming from us and not from oil of Olay or some $500 cream. It ought to be the oil of joy, the oil of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. It is tangible. God's presence on Moses was tangible. He came down out of that mountain and the people were like blinded. He came out of that experience with God showing him his goodness and his wife was blinded. The countenance was changed. And I love this. Now we're in the new covenant. Jesus had died. He'd been risen from the dead. The disciples had been filled with the Holy Spirit. This wonderful thing in Acts chapter 2. And now Acts chapter 3, this miraculous healing had happened to that lame man. And they're being questioned. And this is all that they could say about it. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13. This is the Sadducees talking to them, the religious leaders. Now when they saw, how do you see the boldness through actions, through something tangible on them? Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized. What did they realize? Let's all read that last part. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. They realized. They had been with Jesus. Has anybody ever accused you of being with Jesus? 
Has anybody ever looked at you and said, there's something different about you? Why are you so happy? Why are you always glowing? I've said this before, but my little nail ladies, I go to a nail shop, and they're all from Vietnam in there, and they don't speak a lot of English. And so, you know, we communicate the best we can, but they do good jobs on my nails. But anyhow... They do have Buddha in there too. But many times when I've gone in there, they, they just laugh. They just laugh. And one of them says to me, Ha ha ha, why are you so happy? You want me so happy. Ha ha ha. And I just want to say, Because I got Jesus. It's Jesus you see on me. And I've been really tempted to go over there and kick Buddha out the door. It ain't him. That ain't why we're happy. People ought to see something on us. Just been happy. There's a thought. Yeah. Happy are the people whose God yeah. is the Lord. If you're just happy and everybody else is sad, they're going to set up and take notice. You have been with Jesus. And he's showing up in your life. Yeah. There ought to be a tangible presence on us. I'm expecting this to happen more and more in this day and in this hour because we are the glorious church. And what's the glorious church supposed to be filled with? Filled with His glory. Many years ago, I had been at a dentist appointment. And you know, that's not, that's not an anointed place. If you're a dentist, forgive me, but I've never gone in there and just felt the shy kind of glory while I'm in the dentist chair. But I had gone to the dentist and the boys were still at home and I had to think about something for dinner. So I wheeled into a Kentucky fried chicken. Yeah, you know, grease isn't going to kill you once in a while. It's good for you, whatever. But whatever your dietary doctrines are, yes, my boys ate chicken, Kentucky fried chicken and McDonald's and Burger King and they're all still alive. Praise the Lord. Anyhow. So... I go into this Kentucky Fried Chicken. They didn't have a drive-thru, so I walk in there. And I'm walking up to the counter to put in my order. And I think I'd even had Novocaine, you know. You can just, you're just not feeling great. And I see these two ladies are just staring at me. And I'm thinking, what, I got blood dripping out my <laughs> drool down my face or something? And so I, they just keep staring at me. So finally I just smiled at him. I said, hi, how are you? And sometimes... You know, I've learned I have to be friendly, even if I don't want to be friendly, because they might come to the church and they'll say <laughs> that I didn't talk to them. So <laughs> that's my first impression. Maybe they visited the church. So I'm like, hi, how are you? You know, and all that. And one of them said to me, are you a Christian? And I'm like, yes, I am. And she said, we knew when you came in here, we saw something on you. We saw Jesus on you. And I just come from the dentist. But we are the light of the world. And light is supposed to shine. And when it gets darker in the world, which folks it is, you know, we're not stupid. It is getting darker. But that doesn't mean that our light's going to get dimmer. When it gets darker, we ought to get brighter. And the darker it gets, the more the light will show up. It just takes a little bit of light to dispel the darkness. 
I'm exhorting you tonight. I'm encouraging you tonight. Spend time with Him. Get to that place. And it's not a woo-woo, you know, we got to go floating off into outer space. You can spend time with Him in your car. When you're getting ready in the morning, what does it mean to get in its presence? It just means that your heart gets in tune with Him. That you just take a little bit of time and say, Lord, I am going to follow you today. Lord, I want to please you in all of my ways. Lord, I want my heart to be clean and pure before you. I don't want any clutter in my heart that's going to hinder your presence upon my life and flowing through me. Just heart to heart. Moses had a face to face. We can have that, but we can have our hearts, our heart to heart, communing with him and when we get in that place and we're in his presence you know what it's going to leave an impression an impression upon us that we take with us evidence dr fred price i don't think it's still his theme song but for years the theme song to his show was evidence evidence (laughs) does your life have enough evidence Evidence. Do people know that you're a Christian? It is not a good testimony. If you've been working at the same place for 25 years and somebody finds out you're a Christian and they say, I would have never guessed. That's not a good thing. They ought to know that you've been stamped. You've been impressed by the presence of God. You and I have been with Jesus. And it makes difference. It makes a difference. We need to learn to shut ourselves in with Him. Shut out the busyness and tune into Him. Draw nigh to Him. Now the Bible says that over in James. Draw nigh to God. And what's going to happen? We draw nigh to God and he says, I'm too busy. Don't bother me right now. I got a lot going on up here. No. Draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to us. So tonight what I had in my heart was just that we spend some time just drawing nigh. And sometimes it can be uncomfortable just to wait in his presence. But I heard a friend years ago, she said this, and it so helped me, that when you, you, when you go to wait on God, and especially when you're, you're in a corporate setting like this, just draw a pretend circle around yourself. A pretend circle. And it's just you and God in that circle. And you're not aware of everything that's going on around you. You're not distracted by people that might be sitting next to you. You just focus in on him. Now, we don't want you to get so focused in. You know, if you're real loud, we don't want you screaming and hollering and all that stuff because there is prayer etiquette too, to be aware that people are praying to and seeking God next to you. But we can have this kind of relationship. 
Another thing that pastor said this morning, don't make hasty decisions when you're foggy or you're under pressure or under distress. Take time to wait and you'll get, get clear so you can hear. Some of you are seeking God about some things. And I dare say by the Spirit of God that you've been doing all the talking. You've just been talking and talking and crying and, and petitioning and, and, you know, maybe even quoting a, a million scriptures. And that's all good and that's all right. But when we're seeking God, we need to let Him talk to us too. A conversation is not just you doing all the talking. Amen. It's just being quiet and letting Him speak into our hearts. So that's what we're going to do for a few moments. And I, I don't know, for me, I think it's good if we change our position and some of you come on down to the front. You don't have to kneel. It's important that you're comfortable. You can kneel at your chair. But I think it's good if some come down here because it, it's, it's just good to have a corporate thing. At least come more to the front and kind of get together. And why don't we all just start by, let's just stand first and, and just uh, change our position a little bit and... Um, just look to Him. Just look to Him. Hallelujah. And as we're waiting on Him and seeking Him, I do believe that He will give us some things that we should pray out. But first, we're just going to spend some time seeking His face. So some of you, come on down here. Don't be concerned. To, don't be afraid to come to the front. We can move this out of the way. Thank you, Lord. Is PT in here or did he go? I think it might be good. You know, music is good. It's like a vehicle. We don't necessarily have to sing anything, but if we could just play some music just to set the atmosphere. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus. Lord, by faith we draw near. You told us, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. We're just coming, Jesus. Oh, as an act of our will. And because we love you from the very depths of our heart. We come. We just come to you, Jesus. We come into your presence. We set our affections upon you. We're going to look away from things that would distract. Shut out those other things. Shut in with you, Lord. Shut in with you. In that secret place. There in your presence. Beholding your face. Let's behold him now. However you're comfortable standing, sitting, kneeling, just behold him. We see you, Jesus. 